Luke chapter 9, verse 51 is a verse that brings great passion into my heart. It says that when the time was drawing near for Jesus to be lifted up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. Some translations say that he was resolved to go to Jerusalem. Some say that he was, uh, he was uh, resolute in journeying to Jerusalem. Some translations say he set his face like flint. There was this, this focus, this tunnel vision that he had in which he was ready to go and fulfill what he came to do. And when we get to Matthew 21, we see where Jesus now is fulfilling and accomplishing what he came to do. He came to fulfill a task, to come to Jerusalem, to fulfill what all the prophets of the Old Testament would said would take place. And as the Messiah give his life as a ransom for many, we see in Matthew 21, the king is coming. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 21. As you're turning there, it's amazing to me how much truth we see here in this text revolving around the work of Jesus and the significance of this moment of him drawing near at this time. It's the start of Passion Week. In fact, that's what we celebrate today as a faith family. It is Palm Sunday. It's a day in which we celebrate Jesus walking into, not on his own feet, but riding upon a donkey into the city of Jerusalem to fulfill the task that God had for him to do. It's this task of going to the cross and giving his life so that you and I might live forever. It's amazing how significant this week is in the life of scripture. In fact, one quarter of Matthew's gospel, eight chapters, is given towards this one week of Jesus, his triumphal entry into the city, and his victorious resurrection. And as we take time to study here what's leading up to this moment, just as Pastor Rick said earlier, the time of Passover had come. You go back to chapter 20, and Jesus has been in Jericho. He has just healed two blind men, and now he has made the 15-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem in which it was time for the Passover. Now, the Passover was a significant celebration that took place every year in the life of Israel. It goes all the way back to the days of Moses in the book of Exodus, where God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And the time came in which the Lord raised up Moses to be the deliverer who would lead God's people out of Egypt. On the night before the, the Israelites would leave Egypt, God gave instructions that for those who were part of his covenant people were to have the blood of a lamb put on the doorposts of their houses. And on that night, when the death angel came, those who had the blood of a lamb over their doorposts, the death angel would pass over their home and they would be saved. Those who did not have the blood of the lamb upon their doorposts, the firstborn son and the firstborn of their livestock would die. God was doing something bigger through this. 
He's pointing forward in the Passover to a future lamb, a future blood sacrifice in which those who trust in him, death indeed passes over. Well, for year after year, generation after generation, Israel would gather for a week and they would celebrate this Passover together. Well, the time has come for Jesus, the Passover lamb, to come into Jerusalem. And he does so in the most peculiar of ways. He comes riding on a donkey. You see, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, it kick-started Holy Week as momentum is building as Jesus is headed towards the cross. In fact, I wanted to show you two pictures that I took of what it looks like going down this hill that we're about to see. Up on the screen, you see this picture of the, the road that Jesus took coming into this area. This is the Mount of Olives that Jesus is riding down, heading down towards the opposite side, towards Jerusalem. So here, as we look at the text of Matthew 21, here are three things I want you to see. I want you to see first, Jesus's humble approach. His humble approach. Read with me, Matthew 21, beginning with verse one. The scripture says, when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you. Gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and its foal, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. As Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, he goes to a village called Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a mountain that overlooks the city of Jerusalem, just as the Vulcan overlooks the city of Birmingham. The Mount of Olives overlooks the city of Jerusalem. And the time has come where Jesus sends two of his disciples to fetch a donkey and her foal and to bring them to him. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is fulfilling the messianic prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah wrote, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Israel had seen wicked king after wicked king rise and fall in leadership. But the Lord made a promise through the prophet Zechariah that one day he's gonna send his king. This king is one who's gonna be a righteous king, a victorious king, a humble king. And 500 years before the birth of Christ, Zacharias says that you're gonna recognize him. And here's how you're gonna recognize him is he's gonna be riding on the foal of a donkey. You see, by Jesus riding on a donkey, he is showing himself as humble and meek. And by Jesus riding into the city, he's making a bold declaration, I am the Messiah. So Jesus here, he is the righteous, victorious and humble king, fulfilling what was said about him centuries earlier. But notice how Jesus sets up the retrieval of the two animals. Verse three, 
He says, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Jesus here is referring to himself as the Lord. Now, early in Jesus's ministry, he often did not point to himself in this way because he did not want people to crown him king and Lord too early until he fulfilled what God had called him to do. For example, in Matthew 16, Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi where he asks the disciples, who do men say that I am? Some said that you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter steps up and hits a grand slam and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The scripture then says that Jesus told his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Why? It's because his time had not yet come. The cross was still months away at that point. But here in the text, Jesus is days away from the cross and he is boldly declaring who he is, that he is the Lord. And he's telling his disciples that the owner of the donkey is gonna know him as the Lord. Now that title Lord here, it doesn't mean just a simple tip of the cap. Okay, this is not a a word of affirmation to some uh, lord of a property like in a Jane Austen novel. No, 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 no. This is a declaration of absolute ownership. Jesus here is like a master exercising his full rights, that he is Lord over all and there is no other. What about you? Is Jesus Lord over all of your life? Do you submit to him in everything in your life? Do you simply acknowledge Jesus as a moral teacher moral teacher, or as a good example? If so, you've missed who he is because he is the Lord over all. He is boss, he is master, he is king, and he is God. Hear me on this. Either you submit to Jesus as Lord over all of your life, over, over your life or reject him completely. There is no middle ground. Today, if you do not know Jesus, humble yourself before him. Get low before Christ. You see, he came and gave his life for you at the cross. At the cross, Jesus bled and died so that you could be forgiven. And he didn't stay dead for what we get to celebrate next Sunday is his victorious resurrection. For on the third day, Jesus came back to life, defeating death so that anyone who turns away from sin and trusts in Jesus by faith, you will be saved. Romans 10, nine says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you don't know Christ, then this morning, make Jesus Lord over your heart and life. Submit your life to him. Surrender your life completely to the Lord Jesus Christ and he will rescue you. Now, for those of you who've already put your faith in Christ, question, is Jesus Lord over all of your life? Is Jesus Lord over your social media or are you? Is Jesus Lord over your marriage or are you? Is Jesus Lord over your finances or are you? Is Jesus Lord over your family or are you? If there are areas of your life in which you have not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, today is a day and say, Lord, I wanna give you everything. All of my heart, all of my life, I'm not holding back anything from you. 
Lord, you are king and you are boss, you're master, and I want to get low before you. Here is Jesus declaring his lordship. I am master, and you and I, we are to submit. We are to get low before him because this is who he is and how he reveals himself to us. You see, Jesus will not share the steering wheel of your heart. Westwood, let's submit to his lordship. I also want you to notice, not only is he Lord, but notice the humility of Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem. He doesn't come riding on a horse. He doesn't come riding on a chariot. He comes riding on a donkey, a symbol of humility. And his saddle is not made up of diamonds or rubies or gems that sparkle in the sunlight, but rather the clothes verse seven of his disciples. You see, Jesus is the humble servant king. This king was not born in a palace, but in a stable. This king was born not to the wealthy, but to the poor. This king was born not into privilege, but the son of a carpenter. This king did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considered others more important than himself. This king came not to sit on an earthly throne, but to get down and to wash feet. This king humbled himself and took on human flesh. This king humbled himself and became a servant. He humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And But you see, this humble king, because he came lowly and riding on a donkey and fulfilling what God had intended for him to fulfill, there's coming a day in which he's going to be riding not on a lowly donkey, but upon on a white horse. In Revelation chapter 19, the apostle John says, then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called faithful and true. And he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus came riding into Jerusalem upon a donkey so that one day in the future, he's coming back and he's not riding on a donkey, he's riding on a white horse. He's gonna come back victorious and he is gonna rescue his people. He's gonna call his bride. We are going to be with him forever. And all of the enemies of God who have risen up to take him down, he will take them out with the sound of his word. That's who this Jesus is. But yet here he is, humbly coming into Jerusalem, riding upon a donkey. A very humble approach of this king. Therefore, beloved, let us humble ourselves before this humble king. Because he came riding on a lowly donkey, but there's coming a day in which he's coming back riding upon a victorious 
white horse. The second truth I want you to see here in the text is this, is the crowd's hope of a military king. At the Passover each year, the crowd would sometimes grow five to six times the population of the city. We see in Matthew 21, verse eight, a very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Some people estimate there were as many as 3 million people that were gathered here in the city at this time. And this crowd that gathers, they're spreading their clothes on the road while others are cutting palm branches. This is a picture of coronation. This is a picture of a victory parade of a king. He's riding into his city to the praise of his people. The people had hope. Yes, our king has come. Finally, we have a king who's gonna protect us from our oppressors. We have a king who's gonna finally overthrow Rome. We finally have a king who's gonna establish us as a nation. We're finally gonna be a military power. We're finally gonna prosper. You see, this parade is full of shouting. Hosanna, I mean, save us now. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The people are quoting Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. You see, the people wanted to be saved from their oppressors, but Jesus did not come to defeat Rome. He came to defeat sin and death. You see, the people wanted Jesus to bring relief and freedom from their enemies. But God sent Jesus to bring people to repentance and faith in him. I can't help but think that's where many are in our nation right now. As many are crying out to God and they're asking for relief from this virus. God, give us freedom so that we can go back to our old way of life. And yet God is up to something bigger. God has a bigger purpose in this and that's to lead all of us to repentance and faith. You see, if our only prayer through this virus is God give us relief so we can go back to our old way of life, then we have wasted this virus. God is seeking our, to get our attention and he is calling us to look to him, to turn from our wicked ways and to look to Jesus by faith and say, God, would you rescue, would you save you see, the people were, were celebrating Jesus coming in. Hosanna, we finally have our victory king. We finally have someone who's gonna take down our enemies. But Jesus doesn't do that. He's up to something bigger than what these people could see. Faith family, this virus very well may be God's wake-up call for the church to repent and return to our first love. To come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're everything to me. I've got to have you. See, this is God's way of saying, I want you to remember who I am. I am the Lord. I dictate your day of life. Your day of birth, your day of death is up to me. And everything in between, I'm the one who ordains it. So Westwood, let's be a people who get low before this king who is up to something bigger than we can see. Hear me, if you lose your job, but gain Christ, you win. If your 401k decreases, but your love for Jesus increases, that's a win. That's what God is after. He's, he's taking out the health 
and the, he's taking out the wealth, this false gospel that's been preached in far too many places. And he's saying, let me show you what the true gospel is. Repent from your sin, turn away and trust in my son. Believe the gospel, come to Christ. Question, do you long for a strong and mighty economy more than you long for a strong and mighty savior? Do you, do you want a happy and healthy life more than you want obedience to Jesus? See, your job is temporary. Your money is temporary. Your health is temporary. Your soul is eternal. Jesus wants your soul. He wants your heart. He wants all of your life. See, the crowds wanted a king who would kill the enemy. They didn't want a king who would be killed on a bloodstained cross. The crowds wanted relief from the wrong thing. They didn't want a king who would be weak and humble and nailed to a cross. You see, the crowds came waving palm branches in hopes that Jesus would be their military king. He would destroy their enemies. Yet Jesus did do that. Jesus came to destroy enemies, just not the enemies that they were thinking of. You see, Jesus came to destroy sin, death, hell, and the grave. Those were the enemies that Jesus came to take down. And Jesus came to tear down his enemies and he does so through the cross. Through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus came to destroy the power of sin, to defang the ancient serpent, Satan. He came to take away the curse of death and he did so in the gospel. You see the crowds, they thought Jesus came to protect them from physical dangers. And Jesus says, I've come to do something far bigger. You see the crowd missed it because some of these same people who are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, days later would be part of the crowd saying, crucify, crucify, crucify. You see, this king, he didn't come to declare a military victory. He came to conquer sin and death. He came so that in him you might have eternal life. So Westwood, this is our time now in which we humble ourselves, we get low before our God and we cry out. One thing I wanna present to our church something that God has put on my heart and on the heart of other pastors on our church is moving forward every Tuesday, I wanna invite our entire church to fast and to pray. A time in which you are gonna say no to something and you spend that time praying and seeking the face of the Lord. It may just be one meal during the day. It may be all of your meals on Tuesday. It may be some other fast that you give up from a device or social media, whatever it is. But this is a time in which we say, God, you're far more important than food. Your presence is what I want more than the satisfaction of my stomach. And there's three things I wanna invite you to pray for. It's three C words. In our time of fasting on Tuesdays moving forward, I wanna invite you to pray for our church our community, and our country. Three C words 
that I want you to be praying for specifically on Tuesdays when we have a day of prayer and fasting. Praying for our church, praying that God would mature us in the gospel, that God would protect us from the lies of the enemy. You see, I'm praying not just that God would keep us physically healthy, I'm praying God keeps us spiritually healthy that we're continuing to follow hard after Christ. I was praying this morning that God would make you hungry for his word and thirsty for prayer. This is our time in which we are able to lean into the Lord and to seek his face. I wanna invite us to, for the second seat to pray for our community. People around us are terrified, but God is up to something good and we need to pray that God would use this as means of reaching our neighbors with the gospel. The third C I want you to pray for is our country. Our nation needs Jesus. And it is God's mercy that he is using this sickness as a way of pointing people back to himself. I pray our country listens. But you see, Jesus is not some military victor who came to conquer Rome. He came to make a way so that we could have life. And the way that he makes life for us is through his own death and through his resurrection. The third truth I want you to see in the text this morning is this. I want you to see the city's hype over Jesus's identity. As Jesus enters in Jerusalem, the crowd goes wild. Look at verse 10. It says, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. You see, the people of Jerusalem were asking one another, who is this? This is a parade that has caught the attention of everyone around them. The Roman government is taking note. The religious leaders are taking note. They see that the word is spreading like wildfire about Jesus, that he is the one who's raised Lazarus from the dead. The crowd is picking up momentum. People are getting excited about who this guy is. This is Jesus of Nazareth. And the hype was spreading all throughout the city. Word was spreading. But you see, God was up to something bigger. Because as these people were waving palm branches in their hands, It's pointing forward to an even greater day. You see, there's coming a day in which you and I, Revelation 7, are gonna gather with the church and we're gonna wave palm branches in our hands. We're gonna shout and we're gonna sing with every tribe and tongue and people and nation and we're gonna celebrate Jesus and all that he has accomplished for us in the gospel. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to this morning? It's your impact point, it's this. Prepare to meet your coming king by believing in Jesus Christ. Prepare to meet your coming king by believing in Jesus Christ. This week was a sad week for me. On Thursday in particular, I just felt sad the entire day watching the breaking news take place from all across the world. I started feeling sad for people in our church who are hurting. I started feeling sadness because I miss you. You're my people and you're my family and I miss you so much. This phrase that God gave me to give me comfort on Thursday and throughout this week has come from this text. The king is coming for me. 
the king is coming for me. What anxiety do you have? May I say to you, the king is coming for you. What fears do you have? The king is coming for you. If you're laid up in the hospital wondering what is gonna happen to me, if you are in Christ, the king is coming for you. All because Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey and went to the cross and rose again on the third day, he has made a way for you to have hope that no matter what you face, you don't have to be terrified. You don't have to be afraid. You can be as bold as a lion because we have Jesus, the King who is coming for you. And the Bible says there's coming a day in which the Eastern skies are gonna split and Jesus is coming for you. And the dead in Christ are gonna raise first because Jesus is coming for you. And those who are still alive, we are going to meet him in the air because the King is coming for you. Westwood, as we walk through this season, we are not gonna be scared or afraid. Why? Because the King is coming for us. Let's continue to fix our eyes upon Jesus. We prepare for his coming by believing the gospel and trusting in him. The good news is the King is coming for you.